Exodus chapter 6 tonight. And Lord willing, time willing, we're going to finish up chapter 6 and do a good chunk of chapter 7. Now, if you remember correctly, last week when we finished off in chapter 6, I made the comment that uh, we're going to be starting getting into the plagues. And so we're going to hit our first plague here tonight, the Nile River becoming blood. And I don't know if this is proper or not or Christ-like. I'm really excited about the plagues. So I feel bad for everything that happened, but I'm excited about them because there's some amazing teaching points that come out of that as you see this and as you see what God is trying to do. So we left off last week right around verse 13, and verses 14 to, oh, about the end there, about 24, 25, is really just a genealogy. And the genealogies are in there to show you, to remind you, these are real people. These are real people that really real lives, that husbands, wives, kids, families. So often when we look at these stories in the Bible, we have this tendency to almost put them in this almost imaginary world, if you will. you got to remember here, as we talk about Moses, Moses is 80 years old. He has a wife. He has two kids. There's a lot of emotion going on with them. These people were human just like we were. They struggled. They had good days. They had bad days. So these genealogies are given here to show you the reality of what we're dealing with and what's going on. Now, this really takes us to right around verse 28, where it says, And it came to pass on the day that the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak to the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children out of Israel, out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgment. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them. So they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. A couple quick background points. So we look back to this verse 29. God says, Moses, it's time. And he has this little phrase in verse 29, I am the Lord. If you were with us last week, that was our key point. Because jump back to Exodus chapter 6, verse 2, I am the Lord. Jump ahead, if you will, real quick. Because when the Lord is trying to tell this to uh, Moses again, verse 6, I am the Lord. And then verse 8, I am the Lord. God is God and we're not. That was the point from last week. Problem is we live our lives like we're in charge. We live our lives like we get to make decisions. The more I study the Bible, the more I realize God is God. Why am I not going to Him on things? Why am I not seeking Him? And I've told you before, so often I see Christians making these big life decisions, jobs and houses and and ministries and relationships, etc., and they just give the Lord this token little prayer of guide me, direct me. And sometimes I wonder if we even mean it. I wonder how many times in my walk with the Lord I've said, Lord, guide me. But I never really listened for his response. It just felt good. I should just do this. 
Because it feels good. This just seems like something that would be good to do. Based on what? Based on my understanding, my logic, my wisdom. What we have here in verse 2, what we have here in verse 6, what we have in verse 8, and what we also have in verse 29 is a constant reminder that God is the God of our lives. And we have to willfully submit to that. We have to submit to that. So God is telling Moses, I am the Lord. It's time to start. Verse 30, you see Moses' human side come out again. How many times has the Lord laid something on your heart? And verse 30, you always have an excuse. There's always a reason why you can't. You just can't. It amazes me with my children. If you've never been in our house, we have our living room, obviously, in the middle of the house, and then the boys have their bathroom down the hallway real quick. Now, Layden, if he needs to get something out of his room, his room is right beside the bathroom, he can go there anytime he needs to. He flips a light on, he goes and grabs it. But it's amazing how when we get ready for bed at night, about 8.45, and we tell Layden, it's time to go, get your teeth brushed, get ready for bed, all of a sudden, he can't. He can't. He has to have somebody go with him. There's not enough light. And there's always a reason. There's always an excuse. I love my children, but Laden and Judah, number two and number four, will have an excuse for everything you could ever ask them to do. I look at Moses, and Moses, we obviously know, was not the firstborn. So he must have that number two thing in him as well. I'm not picking on you secondborns out there, but you just always have an excuse. My point is, there's always an excuse here for Moses. I'm on uncircumcised list. How shall Pharaoh heed me? If I was God, I'd want to say, Moses, we've already talked about this about four chapters ago. Now, you either trust me or you don't. That's why the Lord is saying, I am the Lord. If God has ever called you to go do something, he's going to give you the wisdom, the guidance, and the strength to go do it, to fulfill it. He will do it. He is not going to take you down a path and then not empower you or equip you to do it. He's not. So, Moses, you can do this. Verse 7, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. You are representing God. The New Testament uses a verse called, we are ambassadors of Christ. Wherever you go, school, work, at home, you are representing Jesus Christ in everything you do. We tend to forget that as believers, don't we? We take our little Jesus hat off sometimes. I can finally be real. I can finally let my hair down. My goodness, you should be representing Christ no matter who's around. I have made you as God to Pharaoh. So you're going to go, but verse 3, Pharaoh's heart's going to be hardened. Now, we've talked about this numerous times. Pharaoh, in his own free will, the first few times, says, I reject this. God then says, Pharaoh, you've made your choice. So since you've made your choice, I will now use that rejection. So just keep that in the back of your mind. We are given free will. Every day you get up in the morning and you have a choice. Is this day going to be a day to serve my flesh or is this going to be a day to serve my Savior? You have a free will choice. God is not going to force you to do that. What happens, though, is usually days turn into weeks, into months, and sometimes years and sometimes decades where we don't give God that much thought. And then we look at our spiritual life and we stop and say, what happened? What happened was weeks, months, years ago, in your free will, you chose not to go deeper. Now, I'm not saying that to pick on you. I'm just telling you the truth with that. We make a choice to not be fully committed in all we do and say. Sometimes it takes weeks, months, or years to really see that. Really see that. You know, the analogy that has always been given for years, it's the train when you throw coal in it. When you quit throwing coal into the train, the train still keeps going. Even though there's no coal in it, it will keep going for a while. And it will look good. It will sound good. But eventually... After weeks, months, or years, that train will spiritually have to come to a stall because there is nothing feeding it anymore. 
And that's why it's so important that in our free will, we choose. You don't have to. Is that freeing? You don't have to go home and do devotions tonight. You don't have to pray tonight. You don't have to get up tomorrow and have time with the Lord. You don't have to. You don't have to come Sunday. You're under no spiritual obligation to do any of those things. God just says, I want you to. And when he asks you to, you have to decide, is it important to me? And if it's important to you and your free will, I hope you choose to do that. Now, we're getting ready to start the plagues. The plagues are going to be nasty. There's no way around that. Why does a God of love do that? Verse 5, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. The Lord is allowing this to happen to show the Egyptians that he is God. I am God and you are not. Every one of these plagues are attacking an Egyptian god, and we'll get to that as we go into it. But these plagues are huge, huge to let the world know how powerful God is. And guess what? It works. When they send spies into Jericho, what does Rahab the prostitute say? I've heard of what your God did to the Egyptians. Jump ahead hundreds of years now. First Samuel chapter 4, we've jumped ahead hundreds of years. The Philistines get the ark. They want it in battle. You know what the Philistines do? We don't want this thing because this is the God that plagued the Egyptians. Hundreds of years later, Psalm 105, written hundreds of years later, it's a reminder to the Jews of what God did. This plague, these plagues, I should say, that he put on Egyptians were known throughout the old world as a reminder of God's power. Egypt at this time is the world power, and they are put in their place by Jehovah God Almighty. And that was the point of what the Lord was trying to do. So God says, I'm going to do this, and that's exactly what he does. And this is a witnessing tool. Do you realize that? The Lord is using this as a witnessing tool to the world. You know what that means? That means in your life, when you feel like you're being plagued, it's a witnessing tool. The Lord is using you to show the world this is how a Christian handles life. Now think about that. Do you think anybody has ever been saved, ever been saved by a believer winning the lottery and then showing the world how a believer would handle millions of dollars? Never heard that before. But I've heard of people getting saved by watching a believer die of cancer. See, I'm telling you right now, none of us like to live like Job. We like to teach Job. We like to learn from Job. But none of us want to live Job's life. Same thing here with the plagues. I will study what the plagues did to Egypt, but Lord, not to me, not to my wife, not to my kids. No, I want my witness to be, oh, look at the healthy children. Look at the happy marriage. Look at the health they have. That's what I want. That's not where the Lord may go. And part of being God is... Exodus 6, verse 2, verse 6, verse 8, and verse 29, I am the Lord. Trust me. Trust me. What did God tell Moses back in Exodus 3 when Moses says, I can't speak? God said, did I not make the deaf? Did I not make the mute? Did I not make the tongue? The Lord has a plan in every single thing that happens. And what we see here in Egypt is God showing his immense power to the world, to the world. And this is actually an amazing witnessing tool. And it's been said many times, and if you like a deeper study, I encourage you, as we go through these plagues in Exodus, starting in chapter 7, go through it also in Revelation. You'll see a lot of similarities. Because in Revelation, 
God is allowing the earth to be plagued to do what? Show his power and his might and be a light and a witness. What is God doing here in Exodus? He is allowing Egypt to be plagued to show his power and his might to be a light and a witness. This is God's plan. He is God. We're not. We trust that. Now, we'll stop here real quick. Any quick questions, comments about this before we get into our miracles and we get into the first plague then? All righty. Let's move on. Verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourself, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh. And they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So God starts out pretty simple. You know, you don't show your best trick first, right? So we have this rod that's mentioned again. Now, if you remember our study on the rod from a few weeks ago, back in, I think it was Exodus 3, this rod represents, I guess, almost nothing. <laughs> it's just a rod. And we talked about how we did this study. This rod was normal. It was common. It was a piece of wood. But in the hands of God, it became something mighty and amazing. And we talked about how you and I are really just rods. We're just this normal, everyday piece of wood that really doesn't serve a purpose But yet, in the hands of God, we can do amazing, mighty things. Not on us, but on the Lord. So this rod is really a picture of God saying, let me take something normal, almost useless, and make it something amazing. And that's what the Lord wants to do to you and I. So the rod is thrown down and becomes a serpent. Verse 9, I think that's pretty good. I think that's real good. But, verse 11, Pharaoh says, do you want to play that card? I can trumpet. He calls his wise men, his sorcerers, his magicians, and they do the same trick. Now, putting two and two together, if you're a note taker, 2 Timothy 3, verse 8, 2 Timothy 3, verse 8, it looks like these guys' names are Janus and Jambres. So in 2 Timothy, Paul, through the Spirit, kind of revealed possibly who these people are. Now, this causes problem for some people because they see this and they say, well, wait a second, Satan can do these type of things as well? Yeah. Think of all the verses. Matthew 24, verse 24, says there will be lying signs and wonders. 2 Thessalonians 2.19, the Antichrist will do lying signs and wonders. In fact, in Deuteronomy, God comes right out and says, I will allow prophets to come into your midst to do things to amaze you, to test you, to see if you're really going to go back and trust me. I think it happens today. I have people contact me, and I'm just telling you right now, God love you. I hate it when someone contacts me and says, hey, what do you think of, and then they ask me about a certain teacher. Because obviously they like the teacher. And I had somebody one time come up to me years ago and say, hey, I need to ask you about a teacher, but please don't tell me that you don't like him. Well, when am I supposed to say that? And I didn't like him. Um, but they come up and they say, this guy's got to be good. He's standing up behind a pulpit. He's reading the Bible. He's going verse by verse right out of the Bible. Here's the thing. I've seen a lot of pastors teach from the Bible, but they don't teach the Bible. And they teach from it. How can you argue with it? They're quoting some scriptures. They're making points. They're teaching from the Bible. But one of the things that we really like to do out here is we like to teach you the Bible. We want to teach you what it is. 
And I'm not opposed to messages that are topicals, whatever. But you know what? After a while, God has just said, this word is so vital. I want to be taught the Bible. Taught the Bible, not taught from the Bible. But actually teach me what the Bible says. That is vital in your walks with the Lord. My point, though, is this. There are guys that get up there. They look good. They sound good. First John says they're false spirits. There's a power in the enemy. There is a power when you get involved in some of that witchcraft stuff. It's not that we have to live in fear of Ouija boards or anything like that, but there is a demonic power that influences those things. First John makes it very clear, greater is he that is in you, the Holy Spirit, than he that's in the world. We don't have to walk in fear of it, but we shouldn't be around it. We shouldn't be near that type of stuff. And I see Christians dabbling with some of those things that are fringe. It's like, no, man, don't do that. You have God, God, who created the heavens and the earth. Why would you go to some falseness for some false security? Not worth it. So what you see right here is you see the power of the enemy. They did so. Lying signs and wonders, Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But you know what happens, verse 12? Don't you love it? The snake eats together snakes. I would pay good money to see that. That is something. The snake just eats up the other snake. Is that not a visual of the power of God? Verse 13, Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord said. What you're going to see with Pharaoh is this constant rejecting of the Lord. Let me go back and repeat one of the points I said earlier. Every day you have a choice, a free will choice to choose to go deeper or not. No one will force you. No one will make you. You choose on what you want your walk with Christ to be. And you can't blame anybody else. I tell you, I've shared with you Sunday, the Lord has been working on me in the last year, just really changing my perspective on stuff. And I used to carry these burdens of marriages falling apart, that if I was a better pastor, I would be involved in that husband's life. And if I could just talk to him, I could help them. That was just pride. If that husband doesn't want to go deeper in the Lord, there's nothing I can do about that. If that person doesn't want to come to church, I can't make them come to church. I see so many people in ministry focused on growing a church. My goodness, just tell people about Christ and see what happens. It's not about numbers. It's not about people. It's about ministry, meeting them where they're at. And I've been doing this now out here for 15 years. I've realized that there's going to be people that are excited about Jesus, and there's going to be people that are just going to show up and fill a seat. I can't do anything about that. But the people that are excited about Christ... I want to meet you where you're at. I want to disciple you. I want to be involved in your life. I want you to want it. The people that are just filling a seat, I love you. And I hope it goes from filling a seat to being passionate about Jesus. That's the goal. So Pharaoh, free will, his heart grew hard. You know, I mean, think about it. I'm not defending Pharaoh. You can make a rod of snake. Yeah, my guys can make a rod of snake. Your snake ain't made snakes. Okay, that's nature. That happens, right? God kicks it up a notch, and as we get ready for the first plague. Anybody got any first questions, comments about the snake thing? Yeah, Ryan. I understand what you're saying there, and that's why I always look to Hollywood for all my Bible answers. Um, And you know I'm joking, Ryan. You know that. Yes, I've heard two different teachings on this. I've heard teaching, one, that this was a a magic. I mean, this was a tapping into the dark side, if you will. And I've also heard teaching, number two, not as much, where it was trickery. 
and it was just them faking. You know, my personal opinion, I think that they could do this um, because we're going to see them do frogs and flies and blood. There is an element of power with that. And I think sometimes as believers, we're afraid to say that. Satan is a powerful being. I mean, there's no way around that. Satan is a very powerful being. I mean, he is created in a realm that we do not understand nor experience. And the Bible gives us little hints into this spiritual realm, but there is a spiritual power involved in that. I mean, look at the Gospels. How many times there were things involved with the demonic side of throwing people into fires and chained up in the cemeteries. There is a demonic side to stuff that we fully don't see. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is where Elisha prays that his servant could see, and the Bible says that his eyes are open and he sees all the chariots of fire. There's a realm out there that we don't fully get. So my personal opinion, I think there is some enchantment going on here. There is some demonic influence going on, and the Lord is showing his power over that as well. But Ryan is right. There are some teachers out there that teach that it's a, uh, it's a trickery thing. It is a trickery thing. So Anybody else have anything before we move on? Yeah, Shirley. No, I think there's a point to that. You know, the Bible says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. You know, one of the things he likes to do, he never presents himself as he truly is. He presents himself in this flavor of almost being very, very acceptable. And I think you bring up a good point that sometimes we don't necessarily see that, nor do we sometimes choose to see that. I think back to what it says in the book of Jude, where it talks about how Michael the archangel wrestled with Satan for the body of Moses. And Michael would only say, the Lord rebuke you. You know, Michael basically just said, the best thing to say to Satan is just get out of here. You know, and I don't think we fully understand his power, and I don't think sometimes we fully understand the influences that he can have. Usually what I see with believers are these extremes. You know, I use this example a lot. You know, the one extreme of Satan is, I don't want to talk about it. Maybe some of you are sitting out there right now going, you know what, you're making my stomach feel a little queasy. I don't want to talk about demons and Satan. I don't want to talk about that type of stuff. I came here on Wednesday night. Let's not go there. And then I have the other example of Christians that Satan is everywhere. Every flat tire was Satan poking it. You know, every time they get up in the morning and the alarm clock didn't go off, Satan changed my alarm clock. And there's these extremes. The, the, the Bible is always the best middle ground. I, I, you know what? You're going to get so tired of me hearing this. But the Bible, it, it's all about that. And the Bible tells us that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. The Bible tells us that Satan does have limited power. But the Bible also says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I mean, I remember when I was in Sunday school growing up, I always put Satan and Jesus as almost these equals, duking it out. And then as I got saved and really started going deeper in my walk, I realized Jesus created Satan. There is not a comparison here in any way whatsoever. Satan is a defeated foe that is going to get thrown in the fires of hell, and he's just taking as many people as he can with him. And when we really understand who he is, there is a respect of who he is and what his role is and what he does. But there's also a realization of, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Nobody else got anything here before we move on? Surely. Um, uh, 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 well, 
all angels to an extent have powers. I think of the one angel that took out 186,000 Assyrians in one night. That's a pretty good angel-to-death ratio um, right there. So, yeah, I think all angels do have an element of power. But when you really look and you study out angels, there is a hierarchy of organization. As we mentioned Sunday, there's cherubim, there's seraphim, there's archangels. God is a very organized God. Satan fell, excuse me, he likes to copy the Lord. So Satan, according to Ephesians, has a very organized level of demonic influence. He does the same thing. The book of Daniel says that uh, Satan has placed demonic influences over certain geographical areas. So Satan is organized in that way too. So to answer your questions, I believe all angels have a heavenly power to them. It's a completely different realm than what we can understand or imagine. So I don't think it's something that Satan has more power necessarily than others. But it is all angels are created beings that have that type of power. Anybody else have anything? Yeah, Jonathan. Right. Right? And it's a, you know. And that's a great point. And I think of what Paul wrote. Um, my mind's blinking right now if it's Romans or Corinthians, where it says that we're not supposed to be ignorant of his devices. Once again, I believe there's some believers that just want to hide from the existence of Satan, where Paul said, do not be ignorant of what he does and how he does it. We're supposed to understand the enemy. We really do need to understand the enemy. There is an enemy out there that's fighting and fighting back and fighting back hard. But, just like Jonathan said, if we understand the balance of it, I don't walk in fear of him, the Lord rebuke you. Greater is he that's in me, the Holy Spirit, than in the world, Satan. But at the same time, there is, do not be ignorant of his devices. Understand who the enemy is, understand the enemy's role. And, you know, you think about human nature. Satan has been watching human nature now for 6,000 years. 6,000 years. He's got a pretty good take on human beings. He knows how to bring a man down. He knows how to bring a marriage down. He knows how to kill a ministry because he's been watching it for 6,000 years. I've been married to Dawn. It will be, uh, what are we, coming up to 19 years. I can tell you what she wants to order at Taco Bell without even asking her. That's just after 19 years. Imagine 6,000 years of watching people. You'd get a pretty good feeling for things. So sometimes I think Satan comes across as so powerful. He knows things. No, he's a student of human nature, and he knows our weaknesses, and that's what he exploits. The Bible makes it so abundantly clear that Satan is almost like this enemy that's working the lines. He knows where to get you. He knows that. There are certain things that are not a temptation to me. They're not. And if you came up to me and you offered that item to me, it's like, yeah, that's nothing, man. But there are certain things that can be a temptation to me that will bring me down in an instant, and I need to keep my walls up and away from that. Look at your spiritual life. Look at what brings you down. I'm willing to bet what brings you down is a pattern that you have developed over the years, and it's the same type of thing. It's the same type of thing. I've shared with you a story before. A dear brother in the Lord, love him dearly, got saved, on fire for Christ. He had a drinking problem. He'd go to the parties, and he was the one that would be passed out, carried home, etc. Got saved, completely changed, stayed away from that scene for a good year, year and a half. Came back and decided that he thought he was strong enough to go back. Went back to the party, got completely wasted. 
And he called me up, just completely contrite, just sad. And I just said, no. Know your weaknesses. If that's a weakness, stay away from it. You know what your weaknesses are. I mean, if you would be completely honest with yourself, you may have fooled us, I may have fooled you, but there are secrets in your life that only God and you know. You know your areas that bring you down, and when you get near those areas, you're weak. Satan knows that. Satan exploits that. There's no doubt about that. Anybody else have anything here before he moves on? Move on. Yeah, Rose. That is a great, great passage there that Rose just mentioned where the Bible says that Satan just waited for a more opportune time. He knew he couldn't get Christ with the rocks to bread, jump off the temple. You know, here you can have all the world. So I'm going to wait till a more opportune time. Same thing happens with you and I. You're at a spiritually strong spot in your life. Your marriage is good. Life is good. You're living purely. All of a sudden you're hit. He waited for a more opportune time. He knows what he's doing. And, and his pattern, he may use different uniquenesses. But this pattern is very similar. You know, they didn't deal with uh, pornography on the Internet 2,000 years ago. They had temple prostitutes instead. You know, it's the same thing. It's the flesh. You know, people didn't worry about greed and pride in stock markets thousands of years ago, but there was still greed and pride. He just changes it up a little bit. Go back to what he did in the Garden of Eden with uh, Adam and Eve. He twisted Scripture. He twisted God's Word. He outright lied. Jesus said, John 8, 44, he is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And boy, he looks good sometimes. My goodness, he looks good. He's on TV a lot. I've had him come out to this church, I think, a few times. And boy, he sounded good. He looked good. But he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. And that's why we need to not be ignorant of his devices. You know, we're kind of all over the place here a little bit, but that's part of the beauty of Wednesday night. I guess just to kind of close this thought down for a second... You know the areas you're weak in. You know where he's going to hit you. You know that. Be prepared. Strengthen those walls in the word and in prayer and in fasting and in fellowship. Use those tools God has given you to fight the good fight. I saw another hand pop up. Yeah, Mark. That's exactly what it is. And all of us struggle with certain things. You know, I look at my marriage with Dawn, and I do a lot of counseling with couples in some of the areas that are typical marriage counseling situations, uh, spiritual roles. You know, the husband doesn't want to spiritually lead. The wife doesn't want to submit. Uh, arguing over money. You know, these things pop up a lot in marriage counseling. I am so thankful. Dawn and I, we don't argue about money. You know, I, I hope we have our spiritual roles figured out. It's still work in progress. But there's things that bring us down. The other day we were going someplace, and I'm on this road, and Dawn said, hey, can we turn around and go do something? I said, sure. So I went up to the next mile, and I turned around, and I'm going. Dawn's like, why didn't you turn around in that driveway? It was closer. I thought I'd just take the road. Why'd you take this road? Why'd you take this road? It's like, be quiet, woman. You know, I didn't say that. I'm, I'm, I'm too scared to. Um, those are the things that bring us down. 
we're not going to argue over money. We're not going to argue over theology. We're not going to argue over the big picture things in life. But her saying, you should have turned it around in a driveway versus me saying, I'm just going to go up to the next mile. Those are the things that create tension in the Irvin household. So everybody's got things. And your marriages, you got it. Your life, you got it. And everybody is different. Once again, there are certain things that will not tempt me. And they are a struggle for you. But there's things that will be a downfall for me that may not be a downfall for you. Satan knows that. He works the grounds. He works the line. And, you know, the Bible says not be ignorant of his devices. Yeah. You do know that there's you do know there's other people here. This is not just you and I talking. You do know that. Right? <laughs> all of a sudden, all of you guys have been like half asleep. Now I got people going, Amen. Amen. I hear you, brother. Well, I'm sorry, but we're not gonna get to plague number one tonight. I know. I you have no idea how excited I am to talk about water being turned to blood. You have no idea. And so we have to stop with snakes being eaten here. So next week we will get into water into blood. Real quick, final things. Final things. You know your areas of weakness. Do not be ignorant of his devices. Strengthen those areas. And if it's something where you're like, Pastor, I don't know how to strengthen it. Let us, and not that we know everything, but let us be involved to encourage you and help you. That's the purpose of the body of Christ, is to equip you to have the tools you need to go out there and do everything you can for Christ. Remember, he's God. We're not. It's not about us living our lives. It's about us glorifying him and proclaiming the gospel. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Final quick reminders. There's lots of things going on. Baptism service, March 22nd. Keep that in the back of your mind. Heart to Heart coming up March 7th. Uh, If you're interested in that, check out the sign-up sheet back there. Missions trip to Mexico. If you're bringing items in for that, put that right in the kitchen. There's a list back there of that. Matt's study on Sunday has been canceled, plus the bake sale's coming up for the benefit. That needs to be here Saturday. I'm sure there's other things I'm forgetting, but there's lots of things going on. I prayerfully encourage you to get involved with that. Next Wednesday, fellowship meal. Hope you can make it out for that. So let's pray, and we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, good to be here tonight. Good to just um, have fellowship and just learn of you. Lord, help us to walk the walk, to live the life and all that we do and say, and to seek you for wisdom, guidance, and joy. Lord, help us not be ignorant of the enemy. He looks so good sometimes. Help us to seek you in truth and to know what you want. In the name of Jesus, we lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week, and God bless.